it is not the role of HR to be the mouthpiece for management. It is the role of HR to be a fair, equitable, and judicious arbiter of what's right. What's right for people, what's right for the company, what's right for values. And sometimes that means telling leadership they're wrong. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest in this episode is Colin Mincy. He leads the HR function at Human Rights Watch. Colin's success can be attributed to two things, relationships and an understanding of people. Most successful people can say these two things are what guided them as well. But what sets Colin apart is his ability to understand people at a personal level and knowing what makes them tick, but also professionally knowing what their role is and should be and making sure each operation is understood by everyone to allow for the smoothest and most successful workflow. What do you say we dive right in? Colin Mincy, are you ready for a high-energy, high-impact conversation today? I am here. I am ready. Yeah. I appreciate that. I know you've had a long day, eight meetings, and you found the time to uh, carve out to share your story and share all these golden nuggets of wisdom. So thank you for doing that. It's my pleasure. It was easy. I just put it on the calendar and here we are. All right. Well, we'll see if you still have those same sentiments when we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Hey, so for those who, for some reason, don't happen to know who you are, do you mind giving a quick overview of kind of who you are, what you're doing, and what you're all about? Yeah, I think the last part of the question is probably the most complicated because I'm still trying to figure out um, (laughs) what I'm all about. But I am the global head of HR at Human Rights Watch, which is the leading humanitarian investigatory advocacy issue organization. And there I um, manage an amazing team of HR practitioners and we support our global organization through all your traditional sectors of HR from performance to benefits to comp and payroll to learning and development. And I also happen to be the um, executive sponsor for our DEI and stress and resilience efforts. So you got plenty of free time on your hands. Lots of free time. (laughs) I'm going to support you regarding your team, by the way. I uh, had the good fortune of working with 
my initial uh, relationship was with Julianne, who supports yes. you. And I've got to tell you, I was thoroughly impressed. And I know that I'd mentioned this before, but I do think it's important to kind of share with other people that you can tell a lot about somebody by the people that support them. And uh, yes. I, I knew prior to us connecting that I was in for a really good conversation with a really good person. And, and she was just a, such a good reflection of, of you. So kudos to you. Kudos Thank you for saying that. And, she uh, is fantastic. And I wouldn't get much of what I could accomplish if it weren't for her. So thank you for acknowledging her greatness. Yeah, awesome. So let's talk about you for a little bit. I want to give everybody an opportunity to kind of really get to experience your warmth and your personality. So if it's all right <laughs> with you, I'd like to kind of shoot with a couple of, no pun intended, rapid fire questions. I will so, try to answer them quickly. All right, good. Ready? Introvert, extrovert, or kind of somewhere in the middle of a, like a, what they call a centrovert ambivert? No, sir. I am an extrovert. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> What's the next question? <laughs> yeah, we don't even, you're yeah. right. We don't even need to discuss that one. I mean, I can go to the movies by myself. I'm okay being in my own space, but I'm a natural extrovert and um, we know some of the same people, so there's no point in lying about it. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. Uh, is your glass half empty or half full? It is definitely half full. I'm not inspired by pessimism. Mm. I do think that our ability to effectuate the things that we want out of life, out of work, out of our personal relationships, out of situations, is born by our commitment to get it done. And mm. it's very difficult to get it done if you're walking around wearing your woe is me coat. Man, that is, I love that. I love that response. I had asked this to somebody once, not in the show, just in conversation. And this guy turned around. It was as if like he was ready for me to ask this question. And he says, Adam, optimists don't care whether the glass is half full or half empty. We know that you can always refill the glass. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's good to see it. Yeah. All right. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Night owl. Julianne will tell you that a work day that starts before nine for me is a real challenge. <laughs> challenge for people on the call, a challenge for me being on time. It's just a challenge. It takes me a little bit to get started. And then once I get started, it takes a lot to get me to stop. And then because we're often in meetings all day long, it's five o'clock sometimes when we're starting to get through our emails and, and get through some things to get out. And so the evening is a much better space for me to be productive than the morning. Interesting. And now, have you always been more productive in the evenings or is this, you've just had to change? I have tried to change on being more of a morning person. And many of people have tried to get me to change in being a morning person. And I think I've been fortunate enough to be a good producer of results that people stop caring. So always been a night owl. Stop trying to be a morning person. Great answer. Tell me a habit that you have, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm trying to answer that without losing my job. Um, just kidding. I'm not a, a good, you know, work-life balance person. And I'm obsessed about my team having strong work-life balance so that they're happy and engaged and able to tackle the meaningful work we do every day. But it's not something that I practice well. And then the natural intersection of that is I have a hard time saying no. And sometimes 
that's a good thing because persistence has yielded good things for me. But it also means that I am typically pulled in many different directions. In addition to my work, which is hands-on, complex, of really long days, I'm also on three boards and I do other things as well. And I'm a mentor. And so I don't say no, which means I'm not good at balancing work and life, but I press on because saying yes is usually tied to providing a good service or a sense of support for other people. And that keeps me going. That's awesome. So is it more purpose or more meaning that's driving you? Or is it one and the same? So I think I start with purpose and the collaborations and engagements from it give me meaning. I think the purpose is the drive that gets you into the space and the meaning is what gets you to do it all over again. Mm. Oh, so eloquent. I like that. Tell me something that most people just don't know about you. I'm a pretty open book. So if you don't know much about me, then you probably don't know me, which obviously would make sense. That's probably going to be the most obvious thing I say in this broadcast. I'm a music fanatic. I'm a singer, a karaoke singer, not like a <laughs> platinum album selling singer. And music is a part of my daily life. It's, you know, what I do in between meetings or when I'm exercising in the morning, or I even use music to sleep. So, so I... Well, you know, it's not, you know, I'm not playing Ozzy Osbourne. It's a bit of a slower genre, so I don't wake up crazy and sweating. But yeah, I mean, music is, it's a language. It's a soothing space for me. And it allows me to pivot from my mind racing and running to sort of being in a settled space and ready to end all of the things that flash through my brain and, and start over again for the next day. I love music. I actually used yeah. to DJ back in the day and I keep music going at all times. I mean, it's just something that everybody can agree on. It doesn't matter yeah. what religion, color, creed, music just binds people together. For sure. I, when I was much younger, was a karaoke DJ, which is a very difficult job. Even more difficult if your consumption of the things in the bar is preventing you from coordination of finding out who's singing next and what song you're supposed to put up. But I persevere. Nice work. Thank you. <laughs> you're so you've been in HR for a while. I'd love to get your perspective before we kind of get into, get under the hood with some of the detailed questions. Why do you think that HR sometimes gets a bad rap? <laughs> Where would you like me to start? Um... <laughs> I'll give you a couple of things and I'll frame them for the purpose of not being critical, but hopefully someone listening can sort of re-examine their approach and consider whether this could be helpful to them. HR leaders, HR practitioners always complain that they don't have a seat at the table. HR is an afterthought. It's not a function or a space in the business that leadership takes seriously. And one of the reasons is because there are a lot of HR leaders who don't understand the business that they work for. Mm. And, or they don't take the time to understand what people do or what makes people tech or what experiences people have that sort of color who they are and how they show up in the workspace. And what winds up happening is these kinds of teams start rolling out and implementing things that nobody wants. Mm. And we're at a place 
in the history of work where we're beyond being paperwork pushing payroll professionals. Mm. And we're supposed to be strategic advisors. We're supposed to be looking at ways of creating diverse pipelines and making sure there are developmental opportunities to, to mobilize people so that when they leave the organization, they can look back and say, hey, I'm much better at X now that I'm leaving from when I started. And in order to do all those things, you need trust and you need credibility. And you can't have trust and credibility if you don't understand the industry, you don't understand the work, and you're not providing and creating solutions that respond to people and are helpful to people. Mm. And then the second thing is, and this is a very difficult thing to do, but it is not the role of HR to be the mouthpiece for management. It is the role of HR to be a fair, equitable, and judicious arbiter of what's right. What's right for people, what's right for the company, what's right for values. And sometimes that means telling leadership they're wrong and advocating for the interest of the worker, irrespective of how they feel about you doing it or how they feel about you. That's your job. And sometimes that means telling an employee you're wrong and helping the employee understand that the frustrations they have with management sometimes are connected to the fact that they don't understand some of the broader frustrations or issues or things that the manager is trying or management is trying to solve for. So striking the balance between being an advocate for the people and an influencer for leadership is a very difficult thing to do, but that's sometimes why HR isn't successful because they think that the success of their work is tied to their individual success and nodding and saying yes to everything because someone above them said it was a good idea. And sometimes it's your job to say, no, that's actually a really crappy idea. We shouldn't Mm -hmm. do that. And this is why, and this is what will happen. And I think in doing so, you create for yourself a space where if you say no to the employee, because you've been fair and you've established yourself as a person who will stick their neck out, they'll accept the no and they'll move on. And because you've been able to stand up for the right things to management and show that those did, in fact, produce healthy and good impact, sometimes before they make that crappy decision again, they'll come to you and they'll say, hey, Colin, what do you think? That's what I think effective HR practitioners should be should be looking to do. And, and that's the world they should be looking to fill. Wow. So I had planned on asking you if there was anything in particular that you owe your success to, but I'm actually going to, I'm going to flip the script on myself and I'm going to answer that question. (laughs) I think it's pretty fair to say that your ability to not just kind of articulate what needs to be done, your communication skills, but as well as your relationship skills, your ability to be able to connect with someone, to be able to deliver that type of message has to be one of the keys to your success. Is that fair? Yes, sir. Yes, awesome. I think that's fair. Awesome. I so, think that's fair, yeah. So, so you're clearly a relationship guy. I'm sure anyone who's listening to this picked up on that immediately. Is something that has come natural to you, something you've worked on, all of the above? It is the fault of my parents that I am a relationship person. <clears throat> and it's because I'm an only child. And 
is all of the stigmatisms that exist about only children, the one thing that we forget is only children have to be creative because there's no one else to talk to or other ways to entertain yourself, like people who have siblings. And only children have to work differently to cultivate relationships and friendships at a young age. And the meaning behind those friendships are really important because that's really the only community of like-minded people at your pace, at your age, with your interests that you can interact with. So I was an only child. One of my best friends is my cousin, who is a year younger than me, but we became closer later on, early on in life and then later on in life. But I had amazing friendships. I have amazing friendships. And the behaviors that inform a good, solid bond between friends is something that I try to carry in my professional relationships and how I get to know people. And that's just being true and honest to who you are, approaching who other people are with an open mind and with intrigue and interest instead of assessments and judgment. Being proactive about outreach and engagement and checking in on how people are doing and talking about things and engaging in things that are bigger than what you need from them. And those are things that I learned really early on because I was an only child and I had really strong friendships and those type of behaviors at a young age cultivated lots of opportunity for me. I became class president all through all every year of high school and became involved in college. And I saw the value of Mm. investing in relationships in all kinds of meaningful ways And that is, if you ask me how I've gotten to where I am today, there are lots of different reasons that some of which have very little to do with me. But the one thing I can say is that the active commitment to building strong and meaningful relationships has been something that's carried me forward. That's awesome. And I want you to be the poster child of NetworkWise because this is what, this is my entire message. Of yeah. an organization, and it's just really nice to hear it just being echoed. Your sentiments are just really just reinforcing that. And I'm hoping that those that are listening are really taking note because you've had quite an ascension and you've had a really interesting career. And are, are, are there any stories that you can think of that again reinforce this things that you've done, relationships that you've created that have kind of helped your career along? I'll answer that from a career perspective and then. Everybody who's worked, you know, for a big organization has an awkward elevator story. Uh So I'll start with the career part. I, growing up, always wanted to be either a banker or a Century 21 real estate agent. And most people want to be doctors, lawyers, teachers, nurses, police officers, or firefighters. But this was my dream. I have no idea why. I think people knew I was strange from the very beginning. I got into financial services through a program called Inroads, and I wound up starting in banking, in credit cards, marketing, and I wound up getting laid off, and I didn't really know what to do next except for the fact that I had an interest in HR. And one of the school administrators from my school district that I grew up in was the in-house counsel and head of HR at a community Long Island hospital And she hired me 
with no HR experience mm. to work with her in HR. And she taught me everything I knew. And I stayed and I worked under her, learned so much. By the way, working at a hospital, when we go out to dinner, I will talk to you about it. I will not do it on this broadcast, but very interesting. <laughs> and she wound up leaving the hospital. I wound up leaving the hospital. And my very next job was one of the VPs from Chase, who I worked with in the credit card company, who had started his own merchant services business, heard that I was in HR. I had worked really well with him and he hired me. So my first two jobs in HR were based on relationships with people who took a chance on me when first I had no HR experience at all, except the gift of gab and an intrinsic concern and care for people. And two, for a guy who brought me into his startup, credit card merchant processing company, when all I had was this hospital experience under my belt, but he remembered me from when we worked together in credit card marketing. And that's how my career started. And I'm not a genius. I'm not a snake charmer. I just had good relationships with these people. And they entrusted their own professional credibility. They could have hired a really experienced person and not invested in them. But because I had a good enough relationship in them, they gave me a shot. And fortunately, I was able to prove myself, but that's what opened the door. And believe it or not, I think if you talk to a lot of people, as much as people think networking is annoying and awkward to wear, wear name tags and go up to people that you don't know and start conversations, you've got two choices. You can either create opportunities for yourself to network and meet people and see those doors open, or you can step aside and let someone else who's hungry do it in your place. Somebody's going to want to start and create this relationship. And those are the people that are going to get the opportunities. You nailed it. So, so there's something that you said that I don't know if you, how, if you realized how important it was, but you said that they trusted you. And the tenements of networking relationships are no like and trust. So if someone wants to get to know you or know you, that's one thing. If they like you, they're going to spend time with you. But if they trust you, that's the holy grail. That's where the magic happens. That's where they'll hire you. They'll do business with you. They will lend you money, whatever that might be. They'll put their name behind you for something else. So I don't know if you took that for granted because you just said, oh, they trusted me. Like that was, But you built that trust. And that trust is huge because someone can be really smart. And that's great. There are a lot of smart people out there. But oh, what's the saying that hustle beats talent when talent doesn't hustle? And someone needs to, they're going to trust that you're going to hustle. And that is a byproduct of the relationship and the time that you spent to make them feel comfortable with that. So I, I, I call it Adam trust capital, right? Yes. Um, this is who I try to be for my team. Trust capital is that you know that the sky is blue, but somebody says the sky is red and you just look up just in case. And where your word and your commitment are more than just utterances, but they're just a way of being, a way of working. They're part of who you are. And, and I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So let me ask you this, in, in just like general relationship building, things that you do, how long does it typically take you to respond to somebody if they reach out no. to you? Well, I want to be really honest with you. It, uh -huh. it depends on the outreach, right? Because I try to help as many people as I can. I try to connect as many people as I can. LinkedIn, which is a fascinating, effective, amazing 
trailblazing tool and platform. I and HRW were clients of LinkedIn, so I'm not going to get in trouble for saying this. Mm-hmm. But if my inbox is filled with sales opportunities, I'm not as proactive in getting back to that unless it's filling a void or sort of grasping my interest. Can I re-clarify the question? Because I, I guess I, I, I didn't do a good job of phrasing okay. it. Because I don't yeah. want to put, because sales, that's not, you're not obligated. You Not that you're obligated anyway, but like that's not, maybe, let me ask you this. So say that you have a friend or a business colleague. That's different. Or, yeah. yeah. What, do you have a general rule of thumb when it comes to responding? Yeah, I respond. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? If it's a friend, if it's a former colleague, if it's someone who used to work with me, if it's someone I used to work with, I've had former teachers whose children are looking for internships. I respond. I try to connect them and get them to the right people. I have coworkers whose kids are going to interviews for the first time and they need help or advice on their resume. I help them. I mentor for different programs there are people who need advice on how to handle a difficult relationship or, or they're not meshing with their manager and they kind of want to know what to do to reset the, the relationships. I respond. And the reason I respond is because we all are going to be in a position someday where we're going to need help. Mm-hmm. And karma doesn't have to be the thing that gets people when they do the wrong thing. I think that you create and surround yourself with positive vibes if you're helping people who can't pay you back. And so particularly in this moment with the pandemic and people losing work and needing help, people reach out to you, you got to get back to them. Do I get back to them in as much time as maybe they would like me to? Maybe not because of all the things I'm managing through, but I will respond and say, hey, we'll try to get back to you in such and such time but I always respond or I always send them to a place where they can, they can get support if I'm not the right person. That's awesome. I love that for so, so many things that you said that I think are just so on point and, and something that I'm going to tell you and something that I try to impress upon. I can't say it enough how important it is that most people network when they need. And that's not networking. That's right. Actually, what I encourage them to do is that you have the the best time to be networking, quote unquote networking, what, what's considered networking, is when you're in the best position. You've got the most to offer. You're in a good job. You're financially stable. Your health is good. Because number one, that's when you bring the most to the table and you can create the most benefits for other people. But that's also going to kind of be like, I call it like a networking insurance plan. Because to your point, we all need stuff. Everyone just assumes that it's for a job and it's not necessarily for a job. There's so many other things that your networks are good for, whether it's just to pick up the phone and to be able to talk to somebody about something, or if you're lonely, or if you need a ride to work or a date or advice on buying a home, or again, getting a job, you want to give as much as you possibly can while you can. That will put you in a position because you help more people. So if there is ever a time that you do happen to need something, you've done what Harvey McKay, I love his quote, he says, dig your well before you're thirsty. And it sounds like that's something that you really like, something that you live by, whether you're cognizant of, well, you are cognizant of it, which is fantastic. The other thing really quickly is that most of the more meaningful networking experiences I've had 
are from people that I least suspected to have the meaningful experience from. Mm. And that's because you never really know people until you actually get to know people. You don't know how you can help others or how people can help you until you really peel back the layers. And so tying or tethering networking to something you want to get out of it is the wrong way of looking at it. Because the value of the relationship may not reveal itself until much later on. But because you've already done the outreach and gotten to know the person, you're able to pick up the phone and call them at the right time, at the time you least expected it, and they'll come through for you. I love that. I love that philosophy. I love that you get it. Your success is no accident. Success leaves clues. I mean, I hope that those that are listening are picking up on these clues. <laughs> it's like right in their face. <laughs> so, I hope they're not asleep. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's all right. So I, I love quotes. I'd love to get your perspective on what this quote means to you. If you want to do anything significant in life, you're going to do it with others. Listen, yeah. So the power of collaboration and the power of teams is behind most successful leaders. Now, the extent in which the leaders want to acknowledge that teams and collaboration are, are directly, directly inform their success, that's a different conversation. I have always had great teams and many of them I inherited. My last two jobs at Open Society and this job at Human Rights Watch at OSF, I inherited a team that was already there. I hired two amazing people in addition to it. But the, the foundation of the team, their expertise, their credibility within the organization, their work ethic, their principles, already in place, had nothing to do with me. Mm. Human Rights Watch, I, every single member of the team right now that reports to me, I'm not responsible for them being there. Both places and both experiences... There is simply no way I could do what I'm doing and be in as many places as I am and involved in so many strategic type things if I did not have people I trusted and who trusted me, people I could rely on, learn from, be inspired by, be encouraged by. If I didn't have that team, I would not have attained a lot of the things I would have been able to attain. And yes, I say thank you. I say please. Sometimes I'm demanding. I, I'm like a good tequila, really clear, really strong. But <laughs> I'm nothing had it not been for teams. And I'm talking about my work on nonprofit boards. I'm talking about my personal life, your friends and family. Everybody needs to be sustained by a group of people who've got a shared vision, your shared direction and shared principles. And if you find a really successful person who doesn't understand how the sacrifices and investments of other people haven't informed their success, then you haven't found a good leader. You've probably found a lucky one. Yeah. Oh my God. That's scripture right there, Colin. 
<laughs> scripture. Gosh, I, 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 I haven't been to church in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I, I don't know if we can get any better than that. So I'm going to let us sail yeah. off into the sunset on that conversation, on that topic, because I really believe that you nailed it. I mean, having that strong network, if I could paraphrase kind of what you said, is going to help you fill some of the most interesting, unique, and challenging situations yes. that you have. I guess, from a corporate work standpoint, as well as just life. So again, many thanks for, you know, carving out the time, making today happen. Not only was this a fun conversation, but extremely insightful. Uh, I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm a fan of yours and what you're doing. And thank you for the invitation. Oh, this has been a lot of fun, my friend. Likewise. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up-to-date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. NetworkWise.